Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of A Canadian Investing in the U.S. This week, my guest is Brandon Cobb. Um, Brandon and I have been talking for like 10 minutes before we actually recorded this. So, <laughs> uh, Awesome guy. Awesome. Good, good chats. Um, we're going to have to re-talk some of our stuff. But I'm going to keep it, uh, we'll keep, keep it flowing. And we're going to, I cut off this conversation because we want to like, just keep going. Um, but Brandon, um, first of all, let's just give everyone a bit of a background about who you are, uh, what your company does, but not, not too much because we're going to have that on the exit, like how to find you and stuff, but just uh, what, what you do, uh, how you got there. And then we'll, we'll just get into the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is, this is fun for me. So I'm excited to have fun and talk with you today and, Really try to get into the meat potatoes, like what we're going to deliver. Uh, a little bit about me. So I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I own a real estate investment firm called HBG Capital. A lot of people probably hear companies with similar names. What we do is we are purchasing recession-resistant real estate that's designed to be insulated against market volatility. And we're different because we do that in a very unique way. I always encourage people, if you want to learn more, you can go to our website, hbgcapital.net. But I started medical device sales. So... If you told me seven years ago that I was going to be, you know, building houses and neighborhoods, I would have looked at you like you had six heads. I would have never thought that my path would have would have taken this turn. So medical device sales was something that was like a dream job to me. I was getting out of college and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I worked really hard to break into that industry at a time where a lot of guys were getting laid off. The Affordable Health Care Act really hurt that, that business, that industry. But by uh, two years of just grinding, and I finally got in. So I did a lot of knees. I did a lot of shoulders. I was in surgery every day. Loved my job. was working a lot. And then one day, my boss sits me down one Friday and fires me. It was came out of left field. I thought I was doing great. I had you know this, this sales award, this rookie of the year. And um, I thought I was doing great. And that's where I really realized that you can be as loyal as you want to a company, you can work as hard as you want, but in the end, you're still just a number and they've got to do what they've got to do. And I realized at that point that nobody was going to look out for my financial future except me. And so I started on this path. Uh, real estate was one of them. I had a ton of other crazy businesses I was trying to start. One was like a motivational blog. One was like a course on how to break into medical devices. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to start, but I got into real estate. I knew I needed to find a mentor, started to go in every single real estate meetup I could, found him, ended up doing a flip six months later with him. We took all that money and we just dumped it right back into the business in the form of coaching marketing. And I'm a huge fan of coaching. I know you do your, you know, you've got a coaching program on your website, you know, Canadian Investing in the USA, you offer coaching services. I can't recommend that enough. That's what really changed my life. So literally just dumped all the profits in the form of marketing. Uh, those marketing dollars sped out even more deals those led even more profits. And it was just a compounding effect where we kept making money from wholesaling and flipping and just dumping, literally dumping all that money back into the business. I, I joke around and I use the, that scene from Batman where the Joker slides down the big pile of money yeah. and then he throws the gasoline on it and then just lights it on fire. That's what we were doing with like marketing dollars. We were spending a ton of money on marketing and it was working. And so we built it up. We started flipping. We got to the point where we we're doing, you know, 40 plus flips a year. 
uh, sprinkling in some wholesale deals. We kind of graduated into new construction. We realized that some of these full gut flips were taking longer than some of the new builds that we were doing. And hey, sorry, I, don't, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I'm just like, yeah. you just mentioned marketing, right? What kind of marketing? You talking like marketing for, um, you know, uh, sellers to do it? Or, lists. Or we were marketing to evictions list. So going to the corresponding detainer warrants, we were doing an absentee list that has an equity built in there, right? People 55 and older. Motivation, probate lists. We were doing uh, any kind of like niche motivation list. Driving for dollars. I spent six weeks, five hours a day driving every single neighborhood in middle Tennessee. I can literally say that I have driven every single neighborhood and I've got the map to prove it yeah. over a six week period. And just finding those homes that, you know, the grass was growing up really high. They had the air conditioning units. It looked like a haunted house, right? Like you touch it and almost fall down. And we've started marketing those lists, mostly mailers, but we've done just about every form of marketing you can imagine. Okay, that's why I wanted to check because there's there's so many different ways to do marketing, right? Like especially if you start to build new builds and other stuff, it could be like marketing for the the, the end buyers to buy this. Or I was just wondering which end it was, and I, I totally get the the recycling of your money because I did the same thing. You just even my wife was like, "What do you like?" I'm like, "I'm leaving my job a couple of years ago. I'm leaving my job." She's like, "What do you mean you're leaving your job? We haven't made any money." I'm like, "Oh, you've made money, but it just went back in." <laughs> it's going back in the business. Got to feed the machine. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's that's the whole thing. Sorry, I cut you off. You're on a, like a good tear. I just wanted to, to define like which way you're. No, going. man. Hey, stop me at any point. Let's like get into the nitty gritty because I'm sure I might say something and you know your audience better than I do. They may like, hey, look, I know they got questions centered around this. Let's stop and talk about <laughs> this. I'm fine with that. Yeah. But uh, started building it, scaling it, and we just realized that there was, you know, in in our market, new construction deals offered three, four, five, sometimes six times the equity. That these flips did and we were selling them at the same price and we just realized that the cost to build and replace was so much less than it was to purchase because of inflated home prices especially if you're vertically integrated and so you know we created a construction company because we wanted to manage everything in-house we don't build for other people you won't see us go build a home for someone it's all for our holdings company and so having that acquisition arm to find the off-market deals combined with the vertical integration of the construction company really allowed us to scale. And so we were doing a ton of deals and then we had a money problem, you know, we had all our own money locked up and that led to the formation of HPG Capital where, you know, my goal was to help people who are in a similar situation to me where they, they've got savings. We work with business professionals who want to create passive income and focus on capital preservation. So they don't want to work forever and they want their money producing something that's more than what they're getting in the bank or bonds or, you know, something they can actually live off of. When I started investing in the U.S., I did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that. GlennSutherland.com slash coaching. A 12-week coaching program done one hour per week over Zoom from the comfort of your own home. Classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions. Shortcut the process. Make fewer mistakes. Curriculum available at glensutherland.com coaching. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you're building out this uh, the contracting company. Um, not sure if you want to go down this path or not, but we can, we can try this and we'll see how this goes. But um, you're, you're higher end subs. You're like, you're, you've, you've become a GC yourself. Um, so you're on the sub side. Um, the common questions I get, because, you know, we're doing distance real estate investing a lot of times. Uh, I know you're more local, but uh, the big concerns when you're hiring subs or even a GC is, you know, making this safe, uh, not losing money. 
um, managing these timelines, um, managing scopes, um, the quality of the work materials. Uh, how do you do this stuff? Like what? I don't. I know. I just throw a lot of stuff at you. But yeah. yeah. Uh, what what parts of that do you manage yourself? And like what what parts do you have any tips on how to keep this safe for people? I'll tell you a story. So yeah. I've made every mistake there is in the book. I think I remember where I gave a a builder. You know, before we vertically integrated, we hired a builder. And we put down a deposit and he was doing, you know, we we're doing some draws with him. He got like a quarter of the way down with the house and ran off, right? $12,000. Rule number one, don't ever give deposits. It's probably the biggest mistake I see people make. Never give a deposit. You, you don't give somebody money before they give you something. So don't do that. The second is having very clear systems and processes in place. And so let me dive into what that is. We use a sauna and it's customly built out. So what we've done is we've taken the new build process or rehab process back when we were rehabbing. And from start to finish, we have phase one. Here's every single step that needs to happen. Boom. Here's phase two. Here's every little step that needs to happen. And so we've got this systemized where it's very easy. I can take somebody who has construction knowledge, right? Let's say he grew up swinging a hammer. He knows what a good framing job looks like or a good tile job, but maybe he's just not a systems processes guy. I can plug in someone with construction knowledge into our systems and processes, and he can actually see what to do and follow the order of processes. Okay. So they that, see the other side too. So they see the expectations set. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Expectations set. So having a very clear system and process on what you want and being able to communicate that is the biggest headache. One of the best things we did to help minimize the amount of back and forth and subjectivity on a job is we built out 3D models of all of our homes. This is so they can see what the exterior looks like, what the colors look like, what the interior looks like, what the granite countertops look like, what the floors look like. So when you give a contractor this vision and say, hey, here's what we're doing, that takes a lot, a lot of the subjectivity of what they're trying to figure out because they they're not mind readers, like they don't know what you want. So it's your job to be very clear and the more visual you can give them, the better. So those were, those were two big things. The third is you want good contractors, right? This is gonna eliminate most of your headaches. So how do you find good contractors? Yeah. Oh yeah. Call the supply houses. They're going to have relationships with the guys that they know are good. Right. The guys who are busy, the guys who are showing up at 6 a.m. picking up materials. We do a lot of that. We also do a lot of driving for contractors. So we're out looking at, you know, other builders sites and our thinking and what's worked for us is if these other builders. Specifically, builders who are bigger and better than us have vetted these guys and are using them. Chances are they're probably pretty good. So that's another way we find really good contractors. If you find licensed, bonded just guys who are doing really good work. That's the, the fourth is go check out their work. If a guy, is, you know, if, you, if you're looking to sign a contract with a guy and you ask to go see some of his work, you say, well, well, how many jobs going on right now? It's probably not a good sign, right? Because he's not busy and he's not busy because he's not doing a good job more likely. So we always go look at their work first. Uh, we want to see pictures. Contractors who take pictures, take pride in their work, will actually want to see it. So if you can do those things, you're going to have a lot more success with your contractors. Do you hire like a project manager or who, who like when you're doing your own projects, who's going on site to check that this is done? Do you hire a uh, sub company to do the photos or monitor these things or how, how does that work for you guys? 
Yeah, so we're vertically integrated. Everything's in-house. We've got a whole construction team. One piece of that construction team is a project manager whose sole responsibility is to keep the project on track and do QA, QC every single day. Quality assurance, quality checks. and make sure the work's really good. And their job is to find good contractors. Makes a lot of sense. And I, what I like is you have your own system, which it, it is similar to like when you're doing fix and flip loans where they're, if they're logging in themselves to say what's done, right? Or I'm guessing there's some sort of checklist they're working their way through. Um, it's a similar thing when you're doing fix and flip loans, you've, you've got, you have expectations and you, you set these things ahead. Um, but as you move away from fix and flip loans, because uh, usually that's where you start because it's, uh, you don't have a lot of money, but uh, it's very expensive <laughs> um, to, to move in and bring it in and house it. That's a great system. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that's a, you answered a lot of the questions, like the quality and stuff. You, you have somebody, you have an integrated system of someone to is going to go there. And you probably it's a lot less expensive than hiring an external company to, to do this. So um, what, what are you looking for when you're hiring these people to be project managers or work in the system? What, what are there certain things you're looking for in these people? Yeah, let's talk about that. So I keep this book right here by my desk as a constant reminder. I don't know if you can see it or not. A little higher, a little higher. Who not have I'm going What's to buy it. put it up a little oh, bit higher. You're just a little right here. Yeah. Yeah. So Dan Sullivan, who not how the reason why I keep this here as a reminder is you need to hire people. One that have the core values of the company. We can touch base on that here in just a second and have the skills to do the job. So here's the key. How do you do that? I'm going to tell you exactly about a hire that, that I did for this role. Now people get this book confused. They think that it just means I need to go hire somebody. The number one thing I look for when I'm hiring, this person needs to be able to teach me something. If this person can't teach me something or bring something to the role, or I don't feel like they're really going to blow this role up, own it and expand it, I don't hire that person. Having your own onboarding guide and systems and processes to integrate them and have them learn the project management tools and everything and the KPIs and the measuring forms, that's great. But I'm looking to really grow and scale. And you're not going to grow and scale by hiring people that you've got to really like train on how to do the job. So I'm big on hiring people that can teach me something about the world. That's the one thing. So core values, what do we look for? So, you know, for example, one of our core values is growth. Everybody we hire is growth minded, but how do you hire? Or if you're in, inter in the interview process, how do you pull out that core value? Like, how do you know this person has it? I ask this one question and if they can't answer it, then I just, it's pretty much they're, they're dead in the water. I say, tell me about the, the past four or five books or podcasts that you've listened to. Because I don't know one single person who has that growth core value that isn't doing some kind of reading or learning something or taking some kind of course. So that's a great example of what I look for. So we hire based on core values first. Yeah. The second is the skills. And the skills is kind of tough. So I'm a really big fan of behavioral style interviewing. So the difference is normal interviews will be like, well, tell me about your experience in construction. What do you do? And then they tell you about their experience in construction. I want to know, can they actually perform the job? So I ask behavioral style interview questions that are go something along the lines of this. I want them to tell me a story about a time that they exhibited X skill. So my interview process is nothing but stories. I want them to tell me stories. So I might ask something along the lines of, Tell me about a time where you were required to keep a sub accountable. What did you do? What steps did you take? And I want him to tell me that story of exactly how he managed that stub. 
And I might say, tell me about a time where you were required to fire a sub and find another sub. How did you pull the trigger on it? What was that melting point or tipping point that said, hey, I need to fire this guy? And then tell me what steps you took to find another sub, right? I want to hear about experiences. So behavioral style interviewing is how I use the skill set. Now, what we also do, if they, even if they pass all these tests, they still do a ride along with, uh, with, you know, with my partner. He's the, he's the really construction experience guy. I'm, I'm the systems and processes and capital raising guy. He's the construction. Guy. They have to do a ride along with him for a day. And then after that ride along, if he's still convinced what we do, we like to do a test run. Now, if they're currently hired with another company, you know, it's kind of hard to do this, but we might pick a weekend out where we'll come and we'll pay them for a whole day and we'll give them an itinerary. We want to see if they can actually execute on that itinerary. So we just sort of like a test work day with them. Now, if they don't, aren't working with the company, we really like that because then we'll say, hey, let's, let's give you a two month trial. And let's see how you do. So there's no commitments. And we really want to see if they can perform. Following all those steps, I just laid out core values of your organization, pulling them out. Do they have the skills through behavioral style interviewing and making sure that they can teach you something about the role? They're going to build it out and own it. Those have led to very successful hires. That, that is exactly gold. That, that is exactly what I even uh, in my training program, when you do the same things, pulling out those, those questions you want to see, you don't want to see the things that went perfect. You want to see how people deal with situations. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Complete gold. Awesome. Uh, I think you covered all my questions. Anything else we wanted to cover? <laughs> uh, um, you know what? Let's go into your business a little bit too, right? So um, HBG Capital. So um, we, we talked a bit about this ahead of time, right? So you guys are, you're building new construction now. You've went from uh, renovating properties to new construction property. Why, why do that? Yeah. So it was a blue ocean, honestly. You know, we were just seeing price points really get squeezed from the flipping. I don't like to make 8% on deals. That's not much equity. That's not much protection where we were underwriting a lot of these new construction deals at 50 to, you know, 60% loan to value. I mean, there's a lot of equity in that and it helped protect us and it helped protect our investors. So when we were coming up with an investment thesis, I wanted to prevent another 2008 from happening to you know, our real estate business, right? Because everybody still remembers that. Everybody went out of business back then. And you know, you're going to have ups and downs in real estates and it's the people that can stomach it. So I was thinking, how can we position our business and our investors' capital to be insulated against this market volatility. So we took steps. Step number one is we identified markets that are more desirable across the country. So staying away from states like New York, California, we really like Nashville. One, because it's affordable compared to the rest of the country. When you have a market correction and there's less money in the economy, people, people still need a place to live. That need doesn't go away. They transition from more expensive luxury living to more affordable living, but they don't want to be in the war zones. So I want to be in that area where they're focused on when that transition happens. So Nashville is a great state for that, not only because of the affordability, but because the desirability, right? People are moving in here in droves because it's just a very desirable city. Now, on top of that, you have the no state income taxes. That's attracting businesses to move here. Businesses mean growth. It means jobs. It means insulation against some kind of market correction. We really like that as well. And then from a local perspective, you've got the local governments here in Nashville and Middle Tennessee that are really focused on providing businesses incentives to grow. 
So there's all these incentives for businesses to move here to Nashville. We like that. Now, from a more local management perspective, we're vertically integrated, right? That means we don't have to go hire a builder to manage everything. A lot of people, the biggest mistake I see people make when investing with sponsors or any entity that's going to invest their capital is if that sponsor is not vertically integrated, really, you need to be interviewing the builder or the contractor because if that builder or contractor messes up, then that's going to hurt the whole portfolio, right? There's huge risk in that. If that builder or contractor goes belly up, bites off more than they can chew, or, you know, gets disabled or whatever have you. So that was real important to us. We wanted to manage the entire process from start to finish and control everything. And what it did was it, it aligned the builder's incentive, which is us, with the investor's incentive. And so you've got a matching incentive there. Builder doesn't make any money until the investors make money. We put our investors first. And so having all of that together, you've got all these tiers with the affordability of the area, the tax breaks, the no income taxes, the vertical integration, the timeline, right? You know, we're trying to be in and out of homes in seven, eight months, which is a lot less market exposure. Another reason why we're vertically integrated. So our whole goal was to build something where everything is controlled in-house and we're able to help those busy professionals create the passive income they want so they can live life on their own terms. Makes a lot of sense. Do you have any like differences between doing the, the when you were doing the renovations to doing the building, um, like regarding the permits? Does everything is it, does it run easier? Is it more difficult? Uh, where where do you see the snags in there? Yeah, it's a whole lot easier to pull a renovation permit than it is to do a new build because with the new build, there's a lot of stuff that you've got to pass in order to get that permit. You know, you got to pass storm water, right? You got to have the fire department check off on it on the height of the home, how close it is to the power line, grading. So there is a longer permit process. And what we do is to, to limit that risk is we don't buy anything until it's permitted. Yeah. I, I was talking with a guy at a conference in California that said in California, because it's a two-year permitting process, they, they will buy the land and then try to go through the entitlements and do everything. And then sometimes they, they can't even get it with the city. It doesn't work. And I go, well, what, what do you do at that point? And the guy said, we just try to, you know, sell it and break even, or, you know, we might take a hit on it. And I thought that was crazy. I mean, I get it, you know, two years is a long time, but that's, that's what we like to invest in developer friendly cities like Nashville and the tertiary markets, because we can put it under contract get it permit ready while the owner currently owns it. And then once it's good to go and there's no more risk on what we can build there, then we buy it and we're off to the races. It's a smart way to do it. Smart. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I do the same thing, even still whenever I'm buying my smaller stuff, you get it under contract, put a due diligence period, get all your ducks in a row, make sure everything's good to go. And then you do the project. You, you don't do it. You don't do it backwards because otherwise, you're um, if you're using other people's money, you're putting their money at risk. Really, like it's it's their money, and yeah, it's not, that's not fair. <laughs> it's not especially if they don't understand the risk that you're putting them into. Um, yeah, Brandon, um, your company. Uh, tell us a bit about uh, it. If people wanted to invest or people wanted to figure out more, how do they do this? Where do they where do they find you? Yeah, it didn't matter if you're a seasoned investor or you're just starting out. Uh, you know, our website HBG Capital. Dot net is a great place to go. We put a free book ebook on there for people who are kind of just getting started. They want to learn. It's 100 questions passive investors should be asking before investing. You know, whenever I'm investing in something new, I always don't, I want to know what I don't know. 
And the best way to figure out what you don't know is to ask the right questions. So that guide is on there for people who just want to understand something new um, and be able to write, ask the right questions so that they can make sure their capital is in the right hands. So, yeah, I love it. And uh, I, I love your approach, like with everything uh, you're uh, just from having the conversations with you, you're not one of the guys that's holding your cards at your chest. You're, you're very open and transparent. Uh, well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the kind of words. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, you can go online. There's a ton of educational content we put out. It's free. You sign up for the ebook, you know, and educate you on everything we do. If you want to schedule an intro call, we're fine with that. You know, there's no pressure, no high pressure sales or any crap like that. We don't believe in that. So, uh, yeah, we'd love to sit down with you and see if you know, what we've got might be a fit for what your goals are. Thank you for coming on the show, Brandon. Um, I really appreciate it. You like, uh, it was, it wasn't, I didn't have to pull information out of you, just share. And I love that. I love that approach. <laughs> Ready, set, go. <laughs> <laughs>